um, the heart this Christmas season. And uh, today what I want to do is I want to close out the Heart Matters series uh, by kind of rev- by reviewing everywhere that we've been, uh, but then putting a cap on that teaching uh, and offering you one small thought of just why in the world would we uh, want to go about doing all of these things. Uh, and, and so some of it will be repetitive, especially if you've been here the whole series, but, but I want to I go through the whole series very quickly to give you a big picture of what we're talking about as a way of just saying, you know, we, we've talked in detail about guarding our heart. We've talked in detail about delighting in the Lord so that he'll give us the desires of our hearts. And we've talked a lot about what those things mean. But I want to give you a, a broad scope, a big picture uh, of the heart scripturally. Now, it's not exhaustive, but uh, we know that the Bible has lots of other things to say about our hearts. But, but oh, as far as what we've talked about this series, I want to give you a big picture. Uh, and then I want to, to close our series uh, by essentially answering the question, so what? So what? Uh, and, and so let's, um, let's just let's ask the Lord to, to bless our time together uh, as we open up his word. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, this week of, of celebration, of remembering your birth, your, your very first coming to us humbly as a baby. Uh, but Father, the opportunity that it affords us to also look forward to your coming again, your second advent and the renewal of all things that we so desperately long for. And so, God, in these moments, as we open up your word together, would you um, transform our hearts? Would you shape our hearts? And uh, would we just be attentive to your word? Uh, And, God, would you not only encourage us and lift us up, but would you also challenge us uh, and form us and shape us as a result of hearing your gospel this morning? Uh, So thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to be here today. Uh, we ask your blessing on our time of hearing your word together. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We began our series by learning that our hearts are central to who we are. Uh, the Greek word for the word heart uh, is the word cardia. Uh, it, it's clearly where we get our English word uh, cardiology or any of, of those, any forms of that word. Uh, and, and what it speaks of is not just our emotional center, that, that culturally speaking, our heart is really understood as being the emotional center of our lives. And, and so, but scripture knows nothing of that because the word cardia speaks of, of the center of who we are. In other words, it is the seat. And by the seat, I mean it is the center or it is the source of our emotions, our thoughts, our appetites, our desires, our our, uh, emotions. All of these things flow and have as their source our heart. And so when we're talking about the heart scripturally, we're talking about the center of who we are. And and Proverbs 4.23 is true. It says, above all else, guard your heart because everything that you do flows from it. That is to say that we can't help but live from our hearts. 
That, that right now, your life and whatever habits you form, whatever behaviors you have, whatever attitudes you have that maybe no one else knows about, those are all flowing from your heart. And so when, it t- when we talk about faith and when we talk about Christianity, central to what we need to do is not just behavior modification. I need to live uh, a better moral life here, or I need, to not, I need to clean up my language, I need to do this or that. Those things are all good, but ultimately faith is not about behavior modification. It's about our heart being Changed, And that's really what the gospel uh, seeks to do. That's really what Jesus can do through the power of the cross and the resurrection. That when we come to know Christ, what happens is a change in our hearts. And I'm afraid that for too long, people of faith have tried to center their lives on, on better morality or just behavior modification. And unfortunately, some communities of faith center their lives around that as well. And so you get three steps to a better this and five steps to a better that and all of those things. And those things are helpful, uh, but, but a lot of times they don't get to the real driving issue of why is this happening. It's happening in my heart and as a result of what is in my heart. And so... What we, where we started this series is that the heart is absolutely central. And in fact, Proverbs 4.23 is so true. We do need to guard our hearts because all of life flows from it. But what does it mean to guard our hearts? Well, guarding our hearts doesn't mean building walls around our heart. And, and for a long time, uh, that's the way that the, we've been taught to understand guarding our hearts is to guard our hearts we need to build a wall around our heart we need to take up arms we need to do what's right we need to 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 uh, put a shield around ourselves in order to guard our hearts but the problem with building a wall is that it does keep bad stuff from coming in but it also keeps good stuff from coming in Right, And so in, in our approach, if our approach to guarding our heart is to isolate ourselves so that we don't get hurt from other people, we don't be, we're not corrupted by other people, or we don't get influenced by the wrong people, if we are constantly isolating ourselves, building a wall around our heart, uh, then what we've also done is we've also robbed ourselves of the life that our hearts desperately need and desire. Perhaps, uh, perhaps you know someone in your life. Uh, they have been deeply hurt and their response to that hurt has been to shut down emotionally so that they can't get hurt anymore. And uh, maybe you know someone, maybe you've done that. Uh, But the result of shutting down to protect ourselves from being hurt and and, and gaining that tough skin, as we sometimes call it, it, is that we have also robbed ourselves um, of life. The tough skin might protect us from future tears, but it also robs us of life. And so the Apostle Paul, uh, in, in seeking to address this disconnect of, of how do we guard our hearts without really building a wall around it, without really isolating ourselves, without developing that, that metaphorical tough skin so that we're not hurt anymore, uh, the Apostle Paul draws a connection between guarding our hearts and prayer. And he says this in Philippians 4, chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, what we learned in that week of the series is that we need to pray 
for our hearts. Uh, in, in, in this situation, Lord, would you guard my heart so I don't believe the lies that, is, that the enemy is trying to convince me of? Or, or, or Lord, help, me, help my heart not to become prideful in the midst of this success. You see, so, while so many times our, our lives of faith are lived on the plane of behavior modification, a lot of times our lives of faith are lived in the plane of, of changing our situation. And so, God, this situation is challenging. It's difficult. And, and our lives of prayer center around, Lord, would you just take this situation away? Or would you change it? Or would you let it pass? And when a lot of times I, I believe that what we need to pray is not just for the situation to change, but for the Lord to change us in the middle of that situation. Are you with me? Like if we could learn to pray for our hearts, that that if we're experiencing a tremendous amount of success in our business, if we could pray, Lord, don't just, like sometimes we would say, Lord, just allow this success to keep going, expand my territory, right? What if we could also pray, Lord, would you protect my heart from pride in the middle of this success? Or maybe it's in the middle of a difficulty and a challenge and something you never think you'll be able to get through or walk through or make it through. Rather than just saying, Lord, would you take this away? What if we began to pray, Lord, would you, uh, would you protect my heart from believing the lies that the enemy is trying to tell me in the midst of this situation? Right? We, there's this deep connection that Paul draws between guarding our hearts and prayer. In other words, let me say this. The guarding our hearts looks more like surrender than taking up arms. And it looks more like God fighting for you than you fighting for yourself. Because prayer is telling God what we want so that he can tell our hearts what we really truly need. Prayer is us going to God and telling him what we want so that he can speak back to us and tell our hearts the deepest part of us what we truly need. But the, the, the reality is, is that sometimes life brings us circumstances and situations that could cause us to lose heart. And if the heart is the center of who we are, then losing heart means losing hope. It means becoming apathetic. It means losing motivation. It means wondering if we're ever going to be able to go on. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there. I know that I have certainly been there in those situations where I have just lost heart. And again, the Apostle Paul offers us wisdom because after going through an extremely difficult circumstances in the midst of his ministry, where he's going around, he's planting churches, he's pastoring churches, he's writing letters, he's doing all of these good things for the gospel, he's spreading the gospel around the known world in his time. And he's doing all of these great things. And, and yet he, he comes into circumstances and situations that would cause him to have lost heart. And, and just a short list of that is he, he goes through beatings. He goes through shipwrecks. He's in danger. He's in prison. And yet, he says, in the midst of all of these things, in the midst of, of ministering for the gospel and going through impossible circumstances, he says in his letter to the Corinthians, we do not lose heart. And you, you, you just have to ask yourself, how in the world can you not lose heart after going through all of that? Because look, I mean, if you're anything like me, you go through this one little thing and you're, 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 you're tempted to lose heart. Or maybe you go through that little thing and you do lose heart, right? And it's just that one thing. Everything else is going pretty well. Everything else, you, you know, you, I can't complain because it wouldn't do any good, right? But you go through this and it's like, man, I feel like I might have lost heart or I'm losing heart. Well, Paul says that 
He says we do not lose heart because as Christians, we have a tremendous hope that reaches past our current circumstance. And what he does is he paints a picture of that hope. And it is a much fuller picture than just going to heaven when you die. In fact, it's not just, hey, there'll be pie in the sky when you die by and by. What Paul, <laughs> yeah, I know that one. What Paul does is he says this. He says, when you go through a difficulty, when you go through a challenge, when you're walking and trying to climb over a mountain of your life, he says, whatever the nature of the difficulty is, it's just like joining Christ in his death. That's what Paul says. He says that he, he tells the Corinthians that, that he and his colleagues that are going around and ministering with him, they, they carry around the death of Jesus with them all the time. Now, that just makes for great devotional reading, doesn't it? You know what? You know what? What are you doing today? I'm carrying around the death of Jesus with me. I mean, why would we want to join Jesus in his death? Why wouldn't we want to join him in his life, right? Why wouldn't we want to join him in his resurrection? Well, Paul says that in order for resurrection to happen, there has to be death. That in order for you to really know the light of day, you have to have known the darkness of the night. And so he really, he says, we do not lose heart because every time you go through a difficult circumstance, it's just like joining Christ in his death so that you may also join him in his resurrection life. Let me say this to you. Our lowest moments have the greatest potential for new life in Christ. Your lowest moments have the greatest potential for Christ to shine his light in you and through you. And we need to hear that, don't we? Because too often in our lives, we go through a difficult circumstance and and we we blame God, we shake our fist at God, we get angry at God. and, and, And it's okay to be honest with God because he can handle your honesty. But more than that, we need to realize that in those moments, in the, when you are in the, the deepest valley, when you can't mutter anything to God but tears, those are the moments that are just filled with potential for new life in Christ. In fact, when Paul is speaking about this truth, he quotes a portion of Psalm 116. And he quotes just a short little line of it, but he does that because his original audience would have been very familiar with the Psalms. And just quoting that one line, would have made, would have, they would have known that he's in fact calling upon the entire Psalm. And the entire Psalm is about being rescued by the God who loves us. In fact, let me just read a portion of that. And we looked at this uh, a couple of weeks ago. But a portion of Psalm 116 says this. The Lord looks after the simple. And when I was down in the depths, he rescued me. And so my heart, you can go back to rest. For the Lord has been very generous. And he has rescued my heart from death. Right? I mean, what is, what is losing heart except our hearts dying? The center of us, who we are. Yeah, we're still breathing, we're still walking around, but the center of us has died. Our hearts have died. And yet, Paul says, 
And the psalmist says, in those moments, do not lose heart. And in fact, in those moments, take heart. Because when you're in the deepest valley, you are in a position of the greatest potential for new life in Christ to be expressed through you. Paul says this in another place. He says it in a little different way, but he says uh, that he, he, he says that in his weakest moments, the, the Lord spoke to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you, right? That when you are at your weakest, the Lord's strength is displayed all the more. And I hope that's an encouragement to you today. And finally, we talked about how to live well We need Christ to be the chief love of our hearts. Uh, That our culture and the world in which we live sways our hearts, uh, romances our hearts away from Christ so that our love does not lie in Christ and Christ alone, but perhaps our love lies in the uh, accumulation of wealth or our love lies in recognition or in accomplishment or in proving that we're worthy. Whatever it is, the thing that drives you, the thing that you get up in the morning for, the, 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 the thing that you're always, everything in your life, you're living from your heart. So if your primary love is something other than Christ, then that is driving everything that you do. You're always trying to prove that you're worthy. Whatever you're doing, you're trying to get more money. Whatever you're doing, you're trying to prove that you are good enough to accomplish that, Or whatever you're doing, you've accomplished that and you're just trying to get accolades for it. You're trying to get recognition. You're trying to be recognized. Get the prize. Get the award. Whatever it is, the reality is, is our culture sways our hearts away from Christ as our primary love. And so in order to live well, we need Christ to be the chief love, the primary love, the ultimate delight of our lives. And the training, that training center for our hearts is found in the practices and the habits that we do on a daily basis. Because these practices and these habits are actively forming your vision of the good life. Whatever it is, your vision of the good life. The good life. What does that look like in your mind and in your heart? If I just had that, if I just had this, if I didn't have that, if I didn't struggle with this, then I would have the good life. Whatever that picture or vision of the good life looks like for you is an indication of what your primary love of your heart is. Are you with me? And so we need to picture that. We need to, to discern, what is it, how is it that I picture the good life? And then what does that say about my heart? And so then, understanding that, we looked last week, last Sunday, at Psalm 37.4, which says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we talked about how the most common understanding of this passage is that if you give God props in your life, you throw a little bit in the plate, you go to church most of the time, uh, you know, you, you pray when things are difficult, you maybe help somebody out. If you just give God props in your life, then he is, uh, because of this verse, thereby obligated to give you what you want. And that's not at all what this passage says. And in fact, we talked about that if you understand this passage in that way, you're not delighting in Christ himself, you're delighting in what Christ can get you. And that's, that's a rub in our lives, isn't it? I wonder how many times we do what we do, not just to delight in God himself, but because of what we think God is therefore obligated to give us. And in fact, what, we, what this passage means is that if, 
it, it means that if we participate in the action of delighting in Christ, the practices of delighting in Christ, the habits of delighting in Christ, such as singing and praying and communion and fellowship and worship and life in community and reading God's word and, and recognizing the Christian calendar. And if we, we, if we begin to take on these practices and habits of delighting in Christ, then the outcome is that God will author our desires. Not give us the thing that meets our desire, but actually become the author of our desires, right? The word give here in the Hebrew means to bestow upon. In other words, delight yourself in the Lord. That's action, practice, habits. And then he will source or author or bestow upon you the desires of your heart. So that all of a sudden, the, the, there's no longer a difference between what your heart desires and God's desires for you they become one that's what it means in other words the habit of delighting in the lord trains our hearts to desire him more and more and so ultimately where we landed last week was yeah you need to read your bible and you need to pray and you need to do those things that you know you should do but you don't do them just to check them off the list you do them as a training center for your heart because even when, you know, if you're reading your Bible and your reading plan uh, has you in a book where you're just like, man, this is dry and I'm not getting a lot out of it. There's still value and your heart is still being trained and your ears are still being tuned. And all of these things are happening so that your desires and God's desires for you are beginning to mesh. And this is a lifelong process. But in fact, this is what the Christian life is all about, is it not? Delighting ourselves in the Lord so that he will author our very desires. And that while we delight in him, we'll learn more and more to love him. And we will desire him more and more. In other words, we don't come to love Christ more just through the exertion of our will, but through the practice of our lives. It is, the epi- it is in the epicenter of our action that our hearts are trained. That's where we've been. And I think I did pretty well. Right? 15 minutes or so, did the whole series. Not bad. Now the question is, all of this, but to what end? Why? So what? Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 36. I want to read verses uh, 22 through 32, 22 through 32 uh, to you. And uh, I want to to just cap this series uh, with a short word to you as to to what good is all of this heart training. Uh, All of this that we've learned so far, uh, oh, it's very great. It's very inspiring. It's maybe encouraging, maybe a little bit challenging, uh, maybe a little bit convicting. It's all of these things, but for what? To what end? And I want to help answer that question uh, by looking at the the prophet Ezekiel uh, and his words to the nation of Israel. Follow along with me as I read uh, Ezekiel 36, verses 22 through 32. It says this, Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. 
And I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and the name that has been profaned among them. And then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations, and I will gather you from all the countries, and I will bring you back into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you, and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And you will live in the land that I gave your forefathers, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. And I will save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call for your grain, and I will make it plentiful. And I will not bring famine upon you, but I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field, so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. And then you will remember your evil ways and your wicked deeds, and you will loathe yourselves for your sin and detestable practices. For I want you to know that I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, O house of Israel. The prophet Ezekiel speaks to the nation of Israel about a time when God will will give them a new heart, and, and, and he will... Pour, pour out his spirit upon them, and, and he will sprinkle clean water on them. And he uses all of these images and all of these metaphors and this imagery of, of something brand new happening in their lives. And, and the truth is, is that this image of, of sprinkling water on them uh, is is more than just meets the eye, that there's some significant meaning here. And, and first of all, we have to realize that that when, when the prophet Ezekiel, when, when God is speaking through the prophet to this nation about a time when they will be made brand new, he uses the, the, an external practice, sprinkling clean water on them, to signify an internal renewal. That is to say that their, their internal renewal begins with an external act. And that's really what we're talking about when we talk about delighting ourselves in the Lord by doing practices of Christianity, of coming together as a community and, and praying and singing and offering communion and, and taking communion and, and really giving ourselves away in community to other people where we're not closing our hearts off because, oh, what will they think? But I'm fully entering the life of the community so that I can gain the benefit of the community and I can offer for benefit to the, back to the community, these kinds of practices of Christianity are external acts. But internal renewal has to begin somewhere. And so what he, he's talking about their renewal as people in their hearts. But the first thing that he uses as an image of that is an external act. I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you. Now, of course, counselors have known this for years, that when a couple comes in and, and they're uh, in trouble and they're disgraced and they say, I don't, we just don't feel like we love each other anymore, one of the most practical uh, pieces of advice that that counselor gives the married couple is, I don't care if you feel like you love her anymore, you need to buy her flowers and write a nice card. Well, why would I do that? It's not, it's not real. It's not honest if I don't feel like that. And the counselor says, because if you do that, your heart will follow. And it's the same thing here, man. If we want to delight, if we, if we want Christ to be the delight of our lives and, and, and the desire of our heart, then the psalmist says we need to delight in him. 
and our hearts will follow. Our hearts will be trained to love him more and more. And so the prophet Ezekiel, same thing. The internal renewal begins with an external act. Make that right decision. Be, uh, be uh, disciplined to do that or don't go there. Or all of these things are training our hearts into the vision of the good life and desiring the kingdom. But, but more than that, this particular type of cleansing, scholars believe, is referenced, that scholars believe is referenced here, is not just a routine act of cleansing and purification. Uh, of course, in the nation of Israel, they had all sorts of, of acts and rites of, of purification and, and rituals of, of cleansing and all of these things. And, and many things could fall under the category of routine. This is done and it has to be done again and again and again. But, but this particular type, scholars believe, that's being referenced here symbolizes the end of a period of disorder and the beginning of a new phase or new kind of existence. That is to say, it's the end of a idolatrous past and the beginning of a brand new start. That this act of cleansing is, is not just routine, you do it every day, but it's more, it, it's heavier than that. It's more significant than that. This, is, this marks the end of something where I was once idolatrous and what I once wanted wandered away from God to the beginning of a brand new time or period or start where now my heart is given over to obedience to God and I want to follow him and all of these kinds of things. And the, 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 the word that, the, that the Ezekiel gives here, the word of the prophet is fulfilled in Christ and the giving and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit for all people. That when we place our faith in Christ, our hearts are made new. That's a truth that the New Testament talks about over and over and over again. That when we're in Christ, we are new creations in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. And yet, at the very same time, right, we struggle. It isn't completely true of us yet because we struggle. Our hearts are prone to wander. Our hearts are still tempted toward the false gods of our culture. And so on the one hand, you have this fulfilled in Christ. That when we place our faith in him, we are made brand new. But on the other hand, we have this, this, this sense of not yet to the fulfillment of this prophecy. That, that on the other hand, we look forward to the day where it will be fully realized, fully come to pass. A day when the struggle for our hearts is over and our delight is in fact totally in Christ and his new creation. But what I want to point out to you this morning and at the end of this year is this. That twice in this passage, once in verse 22 where we began, and then one in verse 32 where we ended the passage, God wants to make it very, one thing very, very clear. He says this, the purpose of all this renewal, and this, the, the sprinkling clean water, and the new heart, and the pouring out of the Spirit, and all of these things, the purpose, he says, is this is not for your sake, but for mine. Verse 22, this is not for your sake, but for the sake of my holy name. Verse 32, I want you to know that I'm not doing this for your sake. Now hold on a minute. You're going to renew my heart. You're going to pour out your spirit upon me. You're going to make available to me through the spirit the same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead. And it's not for my sake. It's for your sake. What does that even mean? Well, the purpose of the nation of Israel as a whole 
that when God formed the nation of Israel and he entered into covenant with them, he had a particular purpose in mind for the nation of Israel. Uh, One purpose was to, of of course, bring through the nation of Israel the Messiah who would be the Savior of all people. But another purpose was to witness to his name throughout all the nations, that if he would enter into covenant with one nation and raise them up and give them laws and decrees that would demonstrate to the nations of the world what it looked like to be in relationship with the holy God. And so he raised Israel up as a witness to the world. They were to shine the light and the love of God through the world by their obedience to him. How did they do? Not very well. Right? I mean, you read the, the Old Testament, and if you realize that Israel was raised up as a witness to the nations through their obedience to the laws and decrees that God had given them, you realize that they kind of stink at it. And so God says to them, I'm going to end the time of idolatry and disobedience. I'm going to give you a fresh start, and I'm going to do this by giving you a brand new heart. But I'm doing it in order to protect the holy name of Yahweh. In other words, God is concerned about the divine reputation. And the same is true of you and I. That if we were to, I mean, we place our faith in Christ, God makes us brand new, and he says, now go and be a light and be a witness to show the world what it looks like to live in relationship with me. How are we doing? Like, we, we, we tend to kind of look down on the nation of Israel, right? Like, oh, you know. Like, if God had demonstrated himself in such miraculous ways to them, if he had just done that for us, of course we wouldn't mess up like they did. Right. <laughs> you see, the purpose of God changing your heart, the purpose of God Guarding your heart. The purpose of you participating in the practices and activity that train our hearts to desire Christ is not primarily for your benefit. Now, this is hard to hear because the culture is all about me. Everything in our culture is individualistic and it's all about you. That's the marketing of your bank. Your checking account is about you. No, it's not. Here's your house. Here's the bank. It's not about you, right? Some of you will get that later. It's very under the radar, okay? But like, but, but, but like listen, everything in our culture says it's all about you, right? And, and, and what I want to say to you today is that all this business about our hearts and guarding our hearts and our hearts being changed It is not primarily for your benefit. It isn't to make your life easier. It isn't isn't for personal improvement. It isn't so that you can live uh, a more morally correct life. It isn't to make you a better parent or a better spouse or a better friend. It isn't for your career advancement. It isn't to make you better at your job. It isn't to make you more kind to your parents who visited or or your in-laws who visited over the holidays. It's not any of those things. The purpose of God 
changing our hearts is to give him glory. That's it. Now, you may be a better spouse, and you may be uh, a more loving son or daughter. All of those things are true, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is so that God will be glorified through your life. Are you with me? No, that's okay. I can start over. The purpose of God's heart work in you is so that God will be glorified through you. But what happens is I'm, I'm afraid that we're, we're too eager to pe- take the praise for the victory in our lives, right? I mean, for all the times that you get it right, for all the times that God's new heart in you expresses itself in the real world, for every time that you're honest when you could have lied, for all the times that addiction is broken, for all the times that you're a good husband, for all the times that you are a good wife, for all the times that when you train your child instead of just scold them, for all the times that you love your child and demonstrate God's love to them, for all the times that you're a trustworthy employee, for the time that you refuse to gossip at work for all the times that you forgive instead of seeking revenge for every time that you live in the victory of Christ and every time that you get it right it is not for your praise it is to give God glory through your life that's the purpose that's the reason what is the deal with all of this heart change God says I'm not doing it for your sake I'm doing it for my sake I'm doing it to protect the divine reputation so that when people will look at your life and see all the victory that you live in and all the great things that you're doing and all of the morality that you have they don't look to you and say oh isn't that person so great aren't they wonderful they might No, 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 no. That's not the reason. The reason is so that they can look at your life and say, there must be a God who loves us and who has saved us and makes that kind of life possible. That's what Jesus was doing, by the way, in his ministry. His miracles and his healings and all of these things, those weren't all just cool tricks because he was God. Those weren't like just party tricks to, to gain a crowd. Jesus through his ministry of forgiveness and healing and reconciliation and all of the things that he was all about through his ministry, he was demonstrating what? There's a brand new way of life made possible in Christ. And what he called it was the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. This is the new way of life that's made possible in Christ. And may we live in that way, not for our own glory, but to the glory of God himself. Because every time that you did the right thing, every time that you were honest when it was so easy to lie, and every time that you operated in the role of spiritual leadership in your home as a husband, And every time that you're a good parent, every time you refuse to gossip, and all those times that you live in the victory of Christ, those things were made possible. Not because you have an iron will, 
but because God has changed your heart in Christ. Your heart has been changed. These things are true in your life, not so that you will get praise for being a great person, but so that your life may be a witness to the life-changing power of Christ, and he gets all the glory. And he gets all the glory. And I wonder if this could change the way in which we approach difficult circumstances. I'm going here. I'm doing this. I don't want to do it. I don't want to be here. But may God be glorified through me. I'm going to choose to do this. I'm going to choose to have the right attitude. I'm going to choose to do this. And not do that so that God will be glorified through me. I mean, if we really realize, church, that it's not so much about you as much as it is giving God glory through you, then that pretty much changes everything. Because I'm afraid that even in my own life, so many times I seek self-improvement or I try to be better for an end result that is not glorifying God, but glorifying myself. And there's probably a thousand examples I could give you from my own life. But I want you to be, to, to be discerning today and really begin to ask yourself the question, are these things, do I seek these things for my own benefit? Or do I seek those things to the glory of Christ so that God can be glorified through me and in me? And listen, you may find, you'll probably find personal benefit from it. See, it's not, it's not one without the other. It's what is the driving force. Why am I seeking these things? Why do I want God to change my heart so that my life will be easier? God hasn't promised that. God hasn't promised to, to keep you from trouble or protect you from difficult circumstance. He's promised to change your heart in the midst of those things if you'll walk with him faithfully. He's promised to walk with you through those things. Not just ever, ha- not ever, not just always keep them from happening. So let's be discerning, church, about who the glory really goes to in our lives. And let me encourage you, let's give glory where it's due. Because all those things are not for your glory and they're not for my glory there for the glory of God. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road Podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click online giving.